0: Light Warrior Radio. I'm Dr. Karen and I'm your host today. And I, my mission is to help light warrior sensitive souls harness their gifts as a superpower so that they can shine their light to the rest of their world. And uh, every week we bring a guest on the show that will help us heal uh, help us feel better. So whether you're looking for better, you know, health, relationships, prosperity, this is the right place to come. And in case you're not on my mailing list, you may want to join at lightwarriorsupport.com. I have a free gift for you. It's a free clearing and protection spray formula, which is great for light warrior sensitive souls, as well as some classes. Um, absolutely free. So today I'm super excited because we have Patrick McCown here all the way from the, well, Ireland, right? <laughs> um, you know, a, talking yes. to us about the <laughs> yeah, about the Buteyko breathing method. So I'm going to give a little background on how I found out about this. So my patient comes in to the office, and she's always reading, you know, new books and things, and I love learning things from my patients. And she said, have you read this book? It's called Close Your Mouth. I said, no. She said, well, it's called the Buteyko Breathing uh, Clinic Self-Help um, you know, um, Manual, and it's really helping me. And I said, what do you mean it's really helping you? And she said, well, I've been breathing with my mouth closed. And I noticed that I feel more energy, that I feel better, and that I have more stamina. And I was like, really? You know, so I kind of didn't do anything because I was so busy. And finally, it just kept, you know, bugging me in my subconscious, like, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. So I she came in again, and uh, I, bought, uh, I bought the book from her. She has all these extra copies. She's so cool, Cynthia. So I, <laughs> I bought this. Uh, book and, you know, devoured it, and I thought, this is awesome, so what I love about Patrick's uh, work is, is that it's, it's science-based, you know, it's not just, oh, I have this pine-the-sky theory, and I'm going to tell you my theory, and uh, I always thought that's a good thing to take, you know, big, deep breaths, you know, into your belly, we, we heard that through our yoga teachers and, you know, meditation teachers to so take big breaths you in and out, you know, into the belly, and I heard something about you should breathe through your nose, but I didn't have the science behind it, so now having read Patrick's book and about all the thousands of people that he's helped, whether it be athletes, to people with sleep apnea, people with snoring, people with high blood pressure, people with asthma, and to, to get off their medications even, in many, many, if not most cases, to be able to live normal lives, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have him on the show, so Patrick, welcome.
1: Thanks very much, Dr. Karen. Pleased to be here.
0: Uh, this is so wonderful that you're here. Now, uh, we would love to hear, because a lot of people don't know about your work yet, um, maybe you could share a little bit about your journey, your breathing issues, and how you found out about this.
1: Sure. I came across this completely by accident. And growing up as a teenager and also since the time I was a child at And when you're when you have asthma, you're more likely to have a stuffy nose, and when you have a stuffy nose, you're more likely to have disrupted sleep, and also because of nasal congestion. I was a chronic mouth breather, so I was persistently breathing through an open mouth, and I was a little bit highly strung as a result of it because my breathing was fast and shallow and chest. My sleep was very much impacted, and my breathing was impacted. Um. I wrote an article in an Irish newspaper, and it was about the work of a Russian doctor who had worked during the Soviet space race, his and his task was commissioned to determine oxygen uh, composition for astronauts,
0: and with that, he
1: applied his findings then to health, and he had basically two things, breathe through your nose, and breathe life in that position, and mm-hmm. I used
0: to take from just my nose simply involves holding your breath, and I also
1: started practicing slowing down my breathing to create a slight air hunger, and I could feel that my tension in my head was changing a little bit, and also I felt warmer with increased life in the mountains. We reproduce that most people, you know, we have to slow down their breathing, and their body temperature increases, which is a sign that, you know, those blood vessels are, are dilating. So I use this message for my own house, and I never expected that I would ever be teaching this. But after a couple of years as wow. a yeah, this was this is what I wanted.
0: Oh, that's that's amazing. Now we, I think we, um, ha, it might be on my end, we had a little bit of difficulty through hearing some of that. So let me let me summarize, at least what you know, the gist of it um, that I got from you, Patrick, um, is that you know you had struggled with. You know, asthma. You realize that you are a chronic uh, mouth breather, and then your nose is stuffy, yeah. hence the mouth breathing. And then when you started realizing, you know, this, and uh, I think you went all the way to Russia uh, to study with Doctor Butenko Correct. and learn about this yeah. technique, um, and it, it just transformed your life. So you no longer have to take steroids and medications and things like yeah. that. And you've been training thousands of people around the world to, to help them with this. That's So simple, yet such a profound method. So that is really cool.
1: It is. And, you know, really when you're looking at, when we're looking at the research with slow breathing over the last few years, what Buteyko discovered, he seemed to be correct. Now, some of his science and the science available back in the 1960s, you know, the science has moved on. And that can better explain why he can get or why he was able to get the effect he did. But if you look at the work of cardiologist Bernardi, um, Luciana Bernardi was an Italian cardiologist. He's now retired. And he's got 500 papers published on PubMed. Wow. The effects of slow breathing on the autonomic nervous system and the effect it has in respiratory sinus arrhythmia, heart rate variability bringing your cadence down to six breaths per minute, breathing slow but light but deep. And that effectively is what Buteyko was doing. It's not about taking the big breaths. Um, I was already big breathing. I was hard breathing. You know, and the more air you breathe, the less oxygen that gets delivered to your cells. So we need to turn upside down the whole thinking that's often present throughout the Western world that more is better. With breathing, light is better. You know, breathing should be literally undetectable. It should be through the nose. And if you breathe through your nose, it activates the diaphragm. Like people often say, take a deep breath, and they take a mouth breath. Well, a mouth breath is a shallow breath. All you have to do is look down at your chest and take a breath using the mouth, and you'll see that your chest is activated by mouth breathing. Nose Hmm. is linked with diaphragm. So... it often amazes me that people are learning diaphragmatic breathing but they're not told to breathe through the nose. You cannot adapt um, everyday diaphragmatic breathing unless you switch to nasal breathing. And from thinking about the lungs as well, the greatest concentration of blood is in the lower lobes of the lungs. And when you breathe using your nose and your breathing down into the lungs, but very lightly, um, a better gas exchange takes place. So nasal breathing... With slow breathing is very, very efficient in comparison with mouth breathing and fast breathing.
0: Mm. Well, you know, I did not remember, uh, I vaguely remember the Bohr effect, which you talk about in the book yes. uh, from, from my high school yep. chemistry. <laughs> but if you could just explain a little bit about why when we're breathing and we're, you know, we, we think if we're breathing more, we should get more oxygen. So why is it when we breathe too much, we, we get less oxygen?
1: So basically, you know, our blood is almost fully saturated with oxygen, and the saturation of hemoglobin with oxygen is almost it's almost fully saturated when we're breathing normal. You know, the SpO2 or the Sao2 is, which measures the fraction of your red blood cells occupied by oxygen. Generally, it's between ninety-five to ninety-nine percent. And if we breathe harder, in an in effort to bring more oxygen into the blood, that doesn't necessarily happen because the blood is already almost fully saturated but hard breathing Mm. is getting rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood so basically when we breathe hard we're getting rid of too much carbon dioxide from the lungs and this in turn is going to reduce co2 or carbon dioxide in the blood and carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas oxygen is carried by hemoglobin and hemoglobin is a protein within the right blood cells and the catalyst for the release of oxygen by hemoglobin is carbon dioxide in other words The haemoglobin releases oxygen in the presence of carbon dioxide. But if you're breathing hard, you're getting rid of too much CO2. The bond between oxygen and haemoglobin is strengthened, so less oxygen gets delivered. Not only that, though, blood vessels also constrict. Um, I remember reading one paper and it showed that 30 seconds of hard breathing can reduce arterial carbon dioxide by half. And we also know that for every one millimeter drop of CO2, it reduces blood flow to the brain by 2%. So in other words, 30 seconds of hard breathing can can reduce blood flow to the brain by up to 40%. And that's why if you breathe hard for 30 seconds and you start to feel lightheaded, it's not a sign that there's more oxygen getting to the brain. It's a sign that there's less.
0: Wow. Woo. And I'm thinking about all these athletes out there. Uh, You know, we've got the triathlon here in Lake Placid. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, in your experience, what percentage of of people, or maybe what percentage of the average person, what percentage of maybe athletes that you've seen, two separate numbers, maybe different, uh, what percentage do you think actually, you know, breathe improperly?
1: I think it's very high. I think there's a very much a lack of awareness of, of breathing exercise. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um I think it's very high. You know, I know like there's there's not so many papers looking at the instance of mouth breathing in adults. One paper from Japan shows it's seventeen percent. I think it's higher. With children we know it's up to fifty percent. Papers are ranging, you know, that depending on country. Uh, Between 25% of the studied population of kids breathing through an open mouth, up to as high as 50%. We also know that mouth breathing is linked with ADHD, poor sleep, um, cognitive impairment, reduced academic performance, behavioral issues. Um, It's not just about children. You know, it's not just that these things affect children. They also can affect adults. If you think like, I've just written an article for a, a magazine called Men's Health in the UK here. And,
0: uh, yeah, I know that I was
1: Googling, you know, that that magazine and, um, I was kind of Mm -hmm. writing an article for devil's advocate. And basically I Googled, (laughs) how do you, how should you breathe when you go for a run? And almost every search showed mouth breathing, mouth breathing, mouth breathing, because you can get in more air. But there's two things here. Mouth breathing is fast and shallow breathing. Whereas the concentration of blood, as I said, is in the lower lobes of the lungs. Switching to nasal breathing, you increase oxygen uptake in the blood by 10%. So oxygen uptake increases. The PO2, the partial pressure of oxygen in the lungs and the blood, increased by 10%. And that was discovered by Swift back in 1988. And it was patients who had jaw surgery that their jaws were wired shut as a result of jaw surgery. So they were forced to continuously breathe through the nose. And that increased oxygen uptake. And if you look at the work of ear, nose and throat consultant, Dr. James Bartley, he will have written about this, you know, and he'll have referenced that and, you know, just put in Swift 1988 into Google, oxygen uptake, Professor John Lundberg from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden um, claims likewise. So here we have runners or people who are doing physical exercise, fast, shallow breathing, and uh, it's going to lead to reduced oxygen uptake in the blood and also reduced oxygen transfer to the cells. Because if we're breathing too hard and we're getting rid of too much carbon dioxide, the blood's ability to release oxygen to where it's needed is going to be affected. So slow and deep is really a key in switching to nasal breathing. And we always have a mantra, you know, it's slow but light but deep. So you you're focusing when you're going for your walk, your your mouth is closed, your tongue is resting in the roof of the mouth, and correct tongue resting posture affects stability. And you're breathing through the nose, which is activating the diaphragm, and diaphragmatic movement affects functional movement. So individuals who have good movement patterns have good breathing patterns, and conversely, individuals who have poor breathing patterns and they have poor movement patterns. So motor control, stability of the spine, ability to exercise is all adversely affected by upper chest breathing and hard breathing. So, yes, that's what we're trying to do is just paint that message, you know, why do we want to switch? And um, it, it just gets so much easier physical exercise. The cadence of your breathing becomes more regular. your recovery is better. You don't lose as much moisture because your nose is there to retain moisture. So you can imagine on a very hot day, people who are exercising and they're panting with their mouths open, there's a forty two percent greater water loss breathing out through them mouth. so you'll tend to be more dehydrated, so you're, you're needing to stop for more water or to carry your own moisture. And your nose is designed to moisten and warm the, the air on the way into the body, but it's also designed to trap that heat and moisture and on the, on the breath on the way out. So it retains the energy expended by the body uh, to condition the incoming air. So our nose, you know, it's one of those organs that is often, um, it doesn't get the credit it deserves, but uh, I think, you know, it's changing in the last couple of years.
0: Mm, Well, that's great advice. Now, um, someone's asking about, could you please repeat about what you said about what the tongue's supposed to do?
1: So we want to have our tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. So the best way to describe for the correct tongue resting posture, I often use it with the adults and kids, is get them to do the pop sound. The pop sound is like this. So you have to put your tongue into the roof of the mouth to create a vacuum to create that sound. So you want three quarters of your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. And you don't want the tongue tipping against the top front teeth, but just resting behind it. And, you know, especially when it comes to sleep, because the correct tongue resting posture during the day will translate into correct tongue resting posture during sleep. And your tongue has got two places to be. It's either in the roof of the mouth or it's falling into the throat. And if it's falling into the throat, it can increase the risk of a condition called obstructive sleep apnea which is becoming very common and a lot more awareness of it. You know, this wasn't being spoken about 15, 20 years ago, but now there's sleep centers all over the United States and now it's increasing in Europe as well. So we want the tongue, we want lips together, breathing in and out through the nose, and that improves the architecture of the airway, that the airway is more open. So a good airway, and when I'm talking about the airway, I'm talking about the space at the back of the nose where it meets the throat and the space at the back of the mouth where it meets the throat, and the throat itself, we don't want our airway collapsing, especially during sleep. And this is where nasal breathing really, really comes in on its own because if you want to have a good night's sleep, you have to breathe using your nose. If you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, you're going to wake up exhausted. So coming back to tongue posture, yeah, it's lips together, jaws relaxed, plastic moves them out.
0: Mm. Well, you know, I noticed, Patrick, that, um, and we were going to talk a little bit about uh, this, is that uh, in your book you mention that one of the beneficial, uh, aside from obviously the learning the breathing method, that is very helpful is to using paper tape to tape your mouth shut while you yes. sleep, which I, I've, been, I've been trying. I got some paper tape and doing that. Because in the last few months, uh, my husband has said I've been snoring, and I never used to snore and I realized that yes. like, I can reproduce the snore by actually putting the back part of my tongue against the top of the palate, and then I can reproduce the snore that I snore. <laughs> but, I, but even sure. with, the, the, um, with the tape, I'm still snoring, he says. Any any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's possible. There's two types of snoring. There's snoring through the mouth um, and just snoring through the nose. So what's happening is probably when you're switching from mouth to nose breathing, you're
0: now concentrating your airflow to an outer space.
1: And that's why as well we want to, in addition to wearing the tape, we also want to practice slowing down our breathing so that our breathing becomes lighter during sleep and that it doesn't raise as much resistance. Um, but it was an interesting thing in the United States there about a month ago. There was a company
0: called SummerSense
1: and it was created by two medical doctors and they
0: launched the tape.
1: And it was presented on a show called Shark Tank. It's kind of, you pitch to investors, but the investors were behind it and they, they, they invested a half million dollars for 20 percent stake in that company. And that company, the primary purpose or primary product that they sell is tape for sleep and for sleep apnea and to help reduce more and So So there is an awareness out there. And I know Stanford Medical School
0: they did research about six months ago, and it's just,
1: we published. And they had a group of individuals, and their noses were plugged for ten days, so their their noses was, were congested for ten days. So they were forced to breathe through their mouths during sleep, and their sleep was adversely impacted. Um so you the, mm-hmm. the went out that. So I wouldn't worry initially if you're, you know, snoring increases when you breathe. Um, oh, I don't see it really increase. So
0: it the was just no change. breathing and
1: slow breathing. Uh, hello.
0: Yeah, so it, it didn't it didn't increase. My snoring didn't increase. It just didn't really change. And I can like reproduce the snoring just like on like that. So the back of my <laughs> the back of my my palate area, the tongue is like touching when I do that snoring sound. So I would think it's like I don't know if that's tongue relaxation or tongue tension. I'm not really sure. Um, but I, obviously I still need to work on it during the day, like you said, to, to, to do the do Yeah, it's putting it into day, practice
1: not... during the day, but, you, it, but also you notice that when you made that sound, that you speeded up, the, the, the speed of your breathing. So generally yeah, fa- to make the sound of a snore, inhale, we have to. Right? Yeah, so we're, you know, generally after a, a snore, or to make the sound of a snore during the day, we can
0: the airway at the speed of our breath.
1: So we breathe faster then resistance and like if if the nose is is compromised snoring might go away but uh, in general though we do see a reduction to it and with sleep apnea, we also see a reduction
0: Mm, that's really great well I I, I had a chance to try one of your techniques um, or one of the Viteko techniques while I was on vacation with my family I decided I was going to do a webinar and uh, I, I really didn't want to use the nasal spray, so I was rather, rather stubborn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I did beforehand was I took, uh, pinched my nose, and then I nodded my head. And I know you know which exercise yes. is, of course. And I did this several yep. times, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this stuff really works. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I was yeah. like, no, I no... can breathe through my nose better. Yeah. And, and no, as, there's and no as question. long as I – yeah, it, it's amazing. It's nose. amazing. Like, think of yeah. all these people that, you know, take Sudafed and hold bit. Now, of course, if you did that during the day in the middle of teaching class or something, it might be a little awkward. But I noticed during the webinar that I lasted until the last, I think, 20 minutes because I was talking the whole time and not yeah. being conscious of breathing through my nose because it was taking me longer pauses to do that, and I didn't want this big mm-hmm. pause on the webinar. So that's when it, my nose yeah. started getting stuffy again. And because I couldn't do the exercise in yes. the middle of me talking and teaching. So you said that people yes, that talk yes. a lot will have some issues.
1: Yeah. They often have slower progress and are often very tired. You know, individuals who are talking and if they don't put this down to the change of their breathing patterns. You know, it's not about the, the concepts. I don't have to think about what I have to speak about because if you're doing it over a
0: number of years it becomes second nature. Um, but it's, it's the effect that you're talking is having breathing, you're know, breathing harder often through the mouth,
1: and this in turn then, is, is leading to fatigue, so in that exercise we'll just give that to your listeners it's um,
0: a really simple exercise to be congested, your own. Know, don't do it if, if you're pregnant or if you have any kinds of issues. don't do it but, you know, we're it okay, that. yeah, no, hang, hang on, Patrick we, we pro- we're, we're losing yeah. your signal a little bit here, you were giving some uh, advice about who shouldn't, you know uh, yeah, so the people
1: uh, if, if the female is pregnant, they shouldn't do a strong breath hold.
0: Okay. And
1: people with cardiovascular issues shouldn't do a strong breath hold.
0: Right, so they can do some of the smaller exercises, right, like the gentle ones They can ones do gentle, not.
1: reduced breathing, soft breathing, slow breathing, but not strong breath holds. But we use the strong breath hold for decongesting the nose, Shifting mucus or for relieving constipation. And the exercise is oh, as yeah. follows. You take a normal breath in through your nose, a normal breath out through your nose. You pinch your nose with your fingers to hold your breath. And then you gently nod your head up and down, holding your breath. And you continue nodding your head and holding your breath for as long as you can. And when the ear hold, it gets pretty strong. Let go of your nose, but breathe in through it. And then breathe normal for about a half a minute to a minute and repeat. And repeat it six times and your nose will start to be open. So it, it's very, very effective, even with young kids. You know, and the other thing about the nose is that the more we breathe through it, the better it works for us. So the nose regulates its own obstruction or it regulates its own breathing through it. So it's really important to breathe through the nose but the problem is that when the nose is stuffy, most children and adults they don't continue breathing through the nose because they feel suffocated, so they switch to mouth mm-hmm. breathing, but then when they switch to mouth breathing, their nose will will continue to get worse
0: mm-hmm. right and and it's interesting because we- don't, in our society today we do not like to be uncomfortable even a little bit, and I notice that mm-hmm. for people to progress and change and heal that some discomfort is necessary now we're talking. A very minor bit of discomfort in some of the exercises, in terms of noticing a degree of air hunger before you take the next breath, mm-hmm. and not taking a huge breath after, to yes. retrain the, yeah. the brain to 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 be able to tolerate higher levels of CO two. So maybe you can tell us a little bit yes. about that air hunger bit.
1: So the air hunger. So we're slowing down the breaths. We're focusing on the airflow coming in and out of the nose. And then the objective is to slow down the speed of the air coming into the nose and then to have a very slow, relaxed breath out. So you're really slowing down your breathing. And you're slowing down your breathing to the point that you're taking less air into your body than what you're used to. So you're feeling air hunger. But air hunger tells you that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood because the stimulus to breathe is not oxygen. The primary stimulus to breathe is carbon dioxide. So by slowing down your breathing, and by breathing less air than what you would normally do. Carbon dioxide increases in the blood, and the brain reacts by sending a signal of air hunger, or you feel air hunger. But I'd suggest for your your listeners to practice it and check the temperature, their body temperature, and also check the temperature of their hands, check the amount of saliva in their mouth, and check their state of mental alertness. It's a very effective exercise in terms of Anchoring the mind onto the breath is number one, so it's actually an effective meditation. Number two is that it does activate the parasympathetic response and we know this within three to four minutes because of the increased watery saliva in the mouth. And number three is that body temperature increases. So we get vasodilation. Mm. So there's seventy thousand miles of blood vessels throughout the human body. And mouth breathing and hard breathing, I always had cold hands and feet. Always. You know, if I get into bed, um, and like if I, they'd be complaining that, you know, my feet were frozen. Um, but switching to nasal breathing was a big, big part of that. Like our whole, like we we spoke earlier on about the airways opening up the nose. And also this is effective for asthma. And we've had 20 clinical trials now. I was a co-author of two small trials that were published in the American Journal of Critical of, critical care medicine it's a journal by the american Thoracic society and they looked at children with asthma their sleep and their asthma and their asthma improved and their sleep improved and their number of days of absence from school reduced and
0: it's just been simply
1: restoring normal habits you know you've 20 million people with asthma in the united states and That's many good. of those individuals will have nasal congestion they have sleep problems and uh it's really vital that we start using the you know, the defence mechanism that nature has provided us to help the lungs. And the nose is that. The nose is the, the point of entry that air comes into the body and by the time the air leaves the back of the nose, that air is conditioned, it's warmed, it's moistened, it's filtered, it's collected nitric oxide. Nitric oxide then is the gas that's carried from the nose into the lungs. Nitric oxide opens up the, the blood uh, sorry, opens up the airways and it sterilizes the incoming air, and it also helps to redistribute blood throughout the lungs. So so nasal breathing is king.
0: That is amazing. So now if someone does have to talk a lot, or in my mother's case, she's in a choir and she sings, and she has difficulty mm-hmm. with her timing, if she, she doesn't always breathe through her nose, and then she has had cases where she's felt lightheaded, of course. So do you, if they mm-hmm. do or we do some of the other exercises uh, during the day, outside of those heavy singing or talking times, is that gonna be enough to offset, do you think, that those habits while we talk or sing? We
1: we use a measurement in Buteco called the control pause. And the control pause is a measurement of comfortable breath hold time. And for this measurement, you get a timer, a watch, and you take Take a normal breath in and out through your nose. And then you time it in seconds, how long it takes until you feel the first definite desire to breathe. And if you've got a short controlled pause, it means that you breathe hard. And if you've got a long, if you can hold your breath for a long breath hold time, comfortably, in other words, that when you resume breathing at the end, your breathing should be fairly normal. If you've got a long breath hold time, your breathing is functional and you won't run out of air as soon. So you can imagine someone someone who's singing and they've got a short breath hold time and they're not able to hold a note because they're running out of air because they're too used to breathing too fast and too hard. And that's why diaphragmatic breathing, um, a long breath hold time, is very important to hold a note, to conserve air. We have to think of the human being like a car. You know, you have your Teslas now that are electric and they're very, very efficient. And the Toyota Prius mm-hmm. is probably a better example. In terms of gasoline, it doesn't. You can get a lot of miles to the gallon, and you might have a big Hummer, and this is very inefficient. And human beings are the same. Think of the individuals who need so much air just to function. They have no reserve. They're running out of air, and they breathe hard. They they have exercise intolerance, and it's not a good sign of health. So what we're trying to do is just improve breathing efficiency. Make the human being more economical, that they can get by with less air. And it's not that we're trying to, you know, it's really what we're trying to do is just normalize the breathing volume, bring it down to where it should be, as opposed to breathing too hard.
0: So so you've had people with sleep apnea actually heal that?
1: Oh, there's been a lot of people with sleep apnea doing our course. About 30% of the people coming into us come in with sleep apnea. And the, the oh, doctor wow. who discovered sleep apnea is a doctor called Dr. Christian Guimano. He's a French doctor, but he's based in Stanford Medical School. And since 2015, he has been writing about the importance of nasal breathing and sleep. And here's the top mm. sleep doctor in the world. Um, and he's accredited with coining the name Obstructive Sleep Apnea. And also with developing the measurement, which is the apnea hypopnea index. And he's talking about the importance and the critical importance of nasal breathing during sleep. But this hasn't trickled down yet to the general population.
0: No, it hasn't. Anybody
1: with obstructive sleep apnea, they have to breathe through their nose. Um, you know, And there there has been only one study on the tape, but taping them out showed that it reduced the AHI, which is the apnea hypopnea index, by 33%. And that was with individuals wow. with mild sleep apnea. I think the average of the child I had was 12.8. But the other few things that I would do is slow your breathing for 20 minutes before sleep. Make sure your mouth is closed with your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. Don't sleep in the back. If you sleep on your back, your tongue is more likely to fall into the airway and cut, cut off your breathing. And learn diaphragmatic breathing because your diaphragm breathing muscle, which is located between your chest and your abdomen, that breathing muscle is is directly linked with the upper airway dilator muscles. So the muscles in the throat, which are designed, their function is to keep the airway open during sleep. And if those muscles are getting lazy, then the airway is more readily to collapse. So if you learn diaphragmatic breathing, you help to increase lung volume, and this in turn then will strengthen the throat, and the throat then is less likely to collapse. So breathing re-education is really important for for sleep. Definitely,
0: yeah. Mm. Oh, fantastic advice. Now, before we uh, go to the phones, I just wanted to mention to everyone who's live on the show today, if you would like to ask Patrick a question about your own situation, this is a perfect time to raise your hand. The number to call in is 1-818-514-1190 and just hit 1 so we know that your hand's up. Again, the number is one 818 514 1190 and hit one. And then, of course, I have the chat open as well. So if you're online and would like to ask a live question on the show, you can do so there as well. So, Patrick, I was thinking, now, there were several different types of exercises, uh, none of them difficult, that are in the Close Your Mouth book. Now, if if you were Mm -hmm. to say that, that, you know, what's one of those that you think would be the easiest, quickest one for people to learn, uh, even if they had heart disease or were pregnant or whatever. Um, uh, what would yeah, you say that head. would be?
1: G- gentle, slow breathing. And I wouldn't do it during the first trimester of pregnancy, but for everybody else, um, just focusing on your breath, focusing on the airflow coming into your nose, focusing on the airflow leaving the nose, and just gently softening the breathing. Just gently soften it and soften your breathing to the point of air hunger. And try and sustain that feeling of air hunger for a few minutes. So ideally, you know, it can, be, it can be a little bit challenging, but do your best to sustain it for about three to four minutes. And check how the saliva in your mouth changes. Check how, um, for example, you, your body goes into more relaxation. And check your body temperature. And you could see a visual demonstration of it. I did a TEDx talk. And in the audience, you know, I didn't want to just talk about breathing, but I wanted to give a couple of exercises. So I gave a couple of exercises to the group in the audience, and then I asked them, do you feel colder, warmer, or the same? And in general, more, more people will feel warmer, and do you have increased watery saliva, or is it the same, or do you have less watery saliva in the mouth? And in general, people will have warm, more watery saliva. So I say, just go to the TEDx talk and put in my name, and you'll get a you'll get your demonstration of the exercise.
0: Oh, great. Fantastic. I'm going to have my assistant actually post that in the Light Warrior Network Facebook group and the Light Warrior uh, support group so people can check that out. That That's fantastic. Now, if somebody is, great. you know, having asthma or, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, what what would you say in your experience is the time that it takes to practice this to get the control pause, you know, up to a functional level or or to feel better? It
1: takes... It takes time. It takes, you'd want to be doing it for about 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, four to six times daily. Now, Mm. but okay, people might say, well, that's impossible. I don't have that time. But what I'd say is before you go to sleep, if you're watching a little bit of TV in the evenings, slow down your breathing for 20 minutes while you're watching TV. If you go to your gym, do everything with your mouth closed. Let your nose determine and dictate your exercise intensity. I have a book that's become very popular. It's called The Oxygen Advantage. And I wrote it specifically for sports performance. And we have elite athletes. And we have the Chinese Olympic Committee, strength and conditioning coaches using it with their athletes, and strength and conditioning coaches for Olympic teams for Australia. We have MMA fighters, your SWAT team, the Special Weapons and Tactics, and some of the military personnel. So we have people from all walks of life putting this into practice and they put it into practice for exercise performance, focus and sleep. So Mm. yeah, it's about incorporating it. You know, I understand people are busy, but you carry your breath with you all day long and most people, their attention is just occupied in their mind and they're thinking, 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 thinking and a lot of these thoughts are just out of habit and repetitive and incessant thinking and I'm saying, well, Take some attention out of your head and bring it onto your breathing. <laughs> it will give your mind a rest it 's a meditation and um, it will calm your mind, but also you're helping to bring your attention inwards. you know give your body some attention every Everything nowadays is is taking our attention, and it's got worse so true, the so whole true. society, modern society is the total distraction at the moment with social media um facebook email alerts. Text messaging, and that's all distraction, and the mind has become very distracted. So, people have lost the capacity to concentrate, and concentration is very important. You know, our ability to hold our attention on something without interruption. Because, in any walk of life, or relationships, or sports, or business, or whatever you do, you need to have focus and you need to have concentration. So, I want to tr- train the brain, and you want to train the brain to concentrate, and the breath is a great place to start. Bring your attention onto your breathing and hold your attention on your breath, not to think about it, just to feel the airflow coming in, feel the airflow leaving, feel the airflow coming in, feel the airflow leaving. Slow down your breathing. That will help to anchor the mind. And if you find that your mind wanders a lot, you'll get even more out of it. Keep doing it.
0: Mm, That is great advice, Patrick. I, I have to tell you, and you're not aware of this specifically, but, you know, in our um, you know, the training that I do with people, and this is, you know, spiritually-based healing and things like that, and my conversations mm-hmm. with, with Source, that, you know, I've been getting the, this message over the last year or so, the absolute importance of attention, that our, our mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. you know, that creation aspect of what we do as humans, and our attention, like you said, is everywhere. <laughs> and. Yes to have a focus, like people say, oh, you're, you know, how do I become a powerful healer? How do I, you know, blah, 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 and do this and that. And really, it boils, and when I source these questions for my clients and my students, it boils down to attention. It boils down to yes. how long and focused can you attend to a particular frequency, you know, a particular vision, a particular outcome. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, mm-hmm. your breath. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. This is a tool not only to help your health, of course, but also in training that attention. So that's, that's really yeah. great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I have done that thing where I'm sitting in front and, and uh, watching my superhero movies or whatever in the living room, and I thought, oh, this is, this is a good time to practice because <laughs> I'm super busy. Yeah. And I, I just noticed that when I'm talking, it does take more awareness for me. To focus breathing on because it's Mm -hmm. new. It's just new. Anything new takes a little time to learn.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about it, like when the mind is very agitated, and, you know, depending on genetics, some people will have an agitated mind, it can be very difficult to focus on your breathing. So we have a small little breath hole exercise that we do. So if somebody comes into me with a lot of anxiety, I know. I understand that, yeah, it can be very frustrating for them. They're focusing on their breath or they're towards to meditate and they find, well, my, my mind is so active, sure, I can hardly focus on my breathing at all. So we, we do small little breath pulling and we use this as a means of bringing attention onto, onto the breath, but also in terms of increasing blood flow to the brain and it has a calming effect by slowing down breathing. Um, and that exercise is very simple. We use it as an emergency exercise. You take a normal breath in and out through your nose. You pinch your nose, and you hold your breath for about three to five seconds, and then you let go, but you breathe in through your nose, and then you breathe normal for ten seconds, and then again you take a normal breath in and out through your nose and pinch your nose, and hold your breath for three to five seconds, and then let go but breathe in and breathe normal down for ten seconds, and keep doing that, and do that for ten minutes, or even do it for five minutes. You know, so for people to find that their mind is very agitated, um, the very people who need to meditate can have, often find it most challenging, and that's why maybe they don't meditate. And I've seen the fall-off rate is very high. And um, so breath-holding yeah. exercise, and the other thing is sleep. Karen, you know, people come into me with anxiety, stress, depression, and I ask, "Well, how do you wake? How do you feel when you wake up in the morning?" And they say, "I'm absolutely exhausted." And I, I asked, well, has your doctor ever said for you to do a sleep study? And they say no. And the, the reason being is because, you know, the doctor hasn't got that much time with, with patients. And the doctor may assume that the exhaustion of his patient is due to their depression. But exhaustion could be due to a very poor sleep quality. So we need to be looking at sleep hygiene because if we can improve sleep quality, that's going to have an effect on depression. If any of us have a poor sleep, we're going to be cranky the next day. So, if sleep quality, not quantity. Quantity, of course, is important. But when I'm talking about quality. I'm talking about breathing through the nose, and talking about sleeping in a very dark room with no noise. Um, if there's street lights coming in the window, they have to be, you know, black blackened out. In terms of putting blackout blinds or whatever, not to be on iPhones or iPads late at night. And improve our sleep hygiene and if we get our sleep quality right you'll often find that the rest is falling into place and breathing breathing comes into play there so i think there's a there's there's you know a comorbidity with with breathing with anxiety with sleep and they're all falling in together if you google stanford medical school and slow breathing in march of 2017 they identified a new structure in the brain in the locus corollis and they said that this structure is spying on your breath. And if you breathe fast, this structure will relay signals of agitation to the rest of the brain. But if you really slow down your breathing, this structure will relay signals of calm to the rest of the brain. So our everyday breathing, through the nose, slow and deep, will help with sleep. Better quality sleep helps the mind. And then by focusing on the breath, it too helps the mind. A calmer mind, calmer breathing not just that stress impacts our breathing our breathing also impacts our stress
0: Mm. well there are a ton of people out there currently children included Uh, of course you mentioned adhd being diagnosed uh with adhd but also anxiety and depression and are being you know the first thing and i'm a medical doctor so i can say this The first thing, you know, we've been doing, uh, at least for me in the past, was to go, well, gee, do you you want some anti-anxiety medicine or do you want some antidepressants or, you know, to control your symptoms? But what you're saying is that, hey, you know, we have this biological part of us in our brain that we have some way of controlling or managing just through breathing.
1: Yes. You know, there's, of course, a role for medication, but there's also a place for people to practice exercises to help themselves. And even, you know, your listeners to look at the whole aspect of the baroreceptors. Individuals who have poor functioning of the autonomic nervous system and have poor functioning of the baroreceptors. And basically, these are pressure receptors located inside the larger blood vessels. And when when our blood pressure increases, the baroreceptors will send a message immediately to the brain And the brain will send an immediate message to open up or to dilate the blood vessels and also to bring down the heart rate so it normalizes blood pressure. And conversely, if if blood pressure lowers, uh, the baroreceptors send a message to the brain and the brain sends a message to the blood vessels to constrict. Our functioning of the baroreceptors really tell us about the functioning of the autonomic nervous system. And individuals with COPD, with anxiety, with depression, with post-traumatic stress disorder With fibromyalgia, with chronic fatigue, and I can send you on these papers, by the way, or at least I can send you on a couple of papers um, that you can see it. And if you slow down your breathing to a cadence of six breaths per minute, and I'm not talking about taking full, big, big breaths. But I'm just saying breathe in for a count of four seconds, but breathe in lightly and breathe out for a count of six And you're breathing in for a count of four and breathing out for a count of six. Or you could breathe in for a count of five and breathe out for a count of five. But very slowly, lightly through the nose. This exercise is the optimum breathing rate to stimulate the baroreceptors. And with better functioning of the baroreceptors, it helps to to restore the autonomic nervous system, especially if it's been disturbed by stress. So again, this is where the research, you know, we don't have much research in terms of UTECO. We have 20 clinical trials. On asthma um but looking at Bernardi's work on slow breathing and ultimately that's where Buteco was going with it as well and um, looking at other individuals work on slow breathing there's a myriad of evidence there and i think the evidence is sufficiently weighted to that that slow breathing is absolutely beneficial for health especially individuals who have been disturbed by stress
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really hoping my mom's going to do this. <laughs> it's funny cuz she she has a church friend, uh Paul, and and he was teaching her something very similar. I'm not sure he called it particular breathing, but um she, you know, she gets very anxious and she gets very stressed. Uh I might mm. even say it's slightly an addiction. Um but uh you know, the minute she, you know, does the breathing, it it she calms right down and um, yes. I'm, I'm just wishing that she would stick with it. And I think having what I really appreciate about you, Patrick, is that you present us with the research and the data as much as, you know, that is available, and, you, ha- you know, you have mm-hmm. that uh, ability to just, like, kind of spout it off <laughs> because there's a lot of skeptical people mm-hmm. out there, and there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't know, this sounds kind of weird and woo-woo and whatever, yes. but you're saying, no, no, yeah. no, the science is backing this up, and what we were taught maybe or not taught, you know, before in school, whether it be, you know, yoga class or whatever, actually may or may not have the scientific basis that you're talking about. So that's what I really appreciate about your work. So thank you.
1: Sure, sure. You're welcome. Yeah, there's um, a colleague of mine from the United States. Her name is Robin Rottenberg. And Robin was a yoga teacher for 30 years. And uh, she was developing asthma, but also chronic fatigue. And I think, like, sometimes with chronic fatigue, it can be a sleep-related issue. And um, she was using yoga, but she was finding, yeah, okay, it was bringing her some relief. But she stumbled upon Buteyko, and she changed her whole approach in breathing, incorporated light breathing, which is all what we're about, slow breathing, light breathing, into her yoga practice. And she's just written a book. It's due out in the fall. And the book is aimed at healthcare professionals, so it will be heavily referenced. And the, the book is called Restoring Prana. And she went back to the ancient sutras of yoga, as far as she could go, to find out how did the yogi masters instruct breathing. And she found that they were talking about subtle breathing. Breathing should be light, and it should be subtle, and it should not be hard. And, you know, if you go into many yoga studios, you'll hear the students breathing in there. And you shouldn't hear students breathing in a yoga studio. Um, because it's not that they're doing okay, yeah, the postures can be a little bit challenging, but it's not like doing physical exercise, it shouldn't be to the point that breathing increases or, or even to purposely increase your breathing, because that's not how yoga was taught originally, it was about subtlety, subtlety of the breath.
0: Mm, fascinating, and that was uh, Robin Rottenberg you said?
1: Yeah, she's from Falls City. If you put her into Google, Robin Rottenberg, R-O-T-H-E-N. I think it's B-E-R-G or B-U-R-G, Falls City in Seattle. And she's a yoga instructor for 30 years, working mainly with people with multiple sclerosis. And um, But she had her own health issues. And of course, um, it's, it's when we have our own health issues that, you know, it really compels us to find a solution.
0: Wow, that's great. That's really interesting. I know a lot of yoga teachers.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, we think we're I'm very much looking forward to this book coming out because I think it's going to it's going to generate debate and you know, it's really going to bring attention on to how much air should we be breathing. Like it's not just about the respiratory rate. We need to be looking at the tidal volume. We need to be looking at the minute volume. We need to be looking at the, looking at the amount of air that we're breathing per minute. And that's often been overlooked. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really good.
0: Mm, that's going to be great. Well, I may have to look her up and have her on the show too.
1: <laughs> do do. Really She's cool. very nice. Drop her the man.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds really, really good. Well, and that the funny thing is, like you know, like like you said, like sometimes we've assumed, or I've assumed, many of us assumed what we have been taught is correct. Uh, or or there's a gap Mm -hmm. in our knowledge and we don't even know about it in this case. And I'm not saying that all yoga practitioners say to breathe hard, but certainly uh, there are certain practices where you do do that. Um, And there are just the general recommendation is to breathe deeply through into your belly. Mm -hmm. But then that, you know, just just the lack of further instruction can potentially make people over-breathe. So I think that's why yeah, she's looking yeah. at the ang- kind of like the ancient texts on that yeah. uh, of of what the actual yeah. instruction was. So that's really helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like it is all about deep breathing, but it's not about big breathing. And right. you know, the, the the word deep is a very confusing word for people because if we think right. about deep, if you if you look at the definition of it, it means far from the top. So we do want to breathe using the diaphragm. We want abdominal mm-hmm. breathing. But we want subtle and light breathing. That's the key. And you don't have to breathe big to use your diaphragm. A cat and a dog, if you watch them at rest, a um, dog might be a good example because they use their mouth to breathe to regulate body temperature, but a cat would be a good example. Most most instances, they breathe nasally, And they will breathe using their diaphragm and be breathing soft and slightly. You never see an animal intentionally breathing harder because there's no need. You know, they've, they haven't got an idea in their minds. And if it was beneficial to be breathing hard, nature would be doing it. Um, nature has <laughs> evolved to find the perfect way, you know, throughout evolution. And um, humans are doing things that are different to, to animals. And most animals are innate nasal breeders, with the exception of a dog and a couple of diving birds. And yet we have an epidemic happening with children. Up to 50% of them are mouth breeders. Um, And it's really having a dreadful effect. The whole shape of the face is affected. Their jaws are affected. Um, Because we we need to be growing up as kids with the mouth closed and the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth because it's the tongue which helps shape the maxilla, which is the top jaw. And the tongue is wide and U-shaped. And also the tongue is helping to push the jaws forward and the face. So that creates a good airway. And when we have a good airway, then we're more likely to have sleep for the rest of our life. So children who are mouth breathing may be due to adenoids or due to stuffy nose rhinitis. It can lead to abnormal craniofacial development and that's conducive to poor health. Yes,
0: yes. Wow, amazing. Amazing information. Well, let's go, uh, Patrick, and let's share your various websites and where people can find the book, find more information, and maybe Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about your DVD program.
1: Sure. Um, Our website is butycoclinic.com, and um, I give online clinics as well for for asthma. They're two-hour clinics. I give them live. One is for asthma, one is for sleep, and one is for anxiety. And they're reasonably priced. They're $95, and you you receive the recording. So I work with a small group of of people, about, say, 10 people, and you get a two-hour recording that you can just play it over and over. There's books there. I've written eight books. And uh, so Buteyko Clinic is a, about health. And it, we have a free children's online course. It's no charge for it. And all you do is you have to put in your email in order to um, in order to get access to the course. And then we have, for sports, it's oxygenadvantage.com. And that's the book on sports. And it's called The Oxygen Advantage. But there's other books, Anxiety Free and Sleep With Buteco and different books for different people.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, so we can take a look at, you know, what's the dominant symptom and then, you know, get some more specific coaching or or, or um information about that. And are those Yeah,
1: you can all from start like at Yeah, and I'd I'd say to your listeners Karen is just start really becoming aware of you know, are you breathing through your nose or through your mouth? Are you breathing using your upper chest or your your diaphragm? Um, are you breathing fast or are you breathing slow? And just I think it's very important even just to start paying attention to how you breathe.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, great. Well, Patrick, I so appreciate you being on the show today, and uh, I was so excited to <laughs> talk to you live about this. I I know I've I've got lots of practicing to do, but but you know what? I'm so busy. If I can do it. <laughs> And and be busy, then I think anybody can do it. And there's so many people out there in my list and my, you know, students who want natural methods of healing, like natural, safe, and ideally that doesn't cost a lot. And this method is all three of those things. So it's awesome. Yes, yes, yep.
1: Thank
0: you so much, Dr. Karn.
1: It was a privilege to talk to
0: you. Yeah, thank you again, Patrick, and thanks to everyone listening in. Until next time. Happy breathing. Bye for now.